The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And today we are going to delve into posterior tibial tendonitis and uh, sort of the resultant sequela of yeah. um, dealing with uh, adult flat foot for the most part. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of peas, a little bit of adult, but mostly adult uh, acquired flat foot deformities. Sounds good. Not sure if it's a blister or tendonitis. So. PTTD, posterior tibial tendonitis, what does it uh, uh, present as typically? You know, your medial ankle pain, the medial arch pain, mm-hmm. um, pain after standing, walking, uh, work-related pains, you know, you're on your feet all the time. I see it quite often like uh, construction workers and nurses, people who are, you know, constantly on their feet. The new Amazon store that's just opened up, uh, Amazon Warehouse. The warehouse, right. I have, I've had two Several or three patients, yeah, yep. just back to back to back. And plantar fasciitis plantar and or posterior tibial tendonitis. It's Sometimes just those both. Yeah, it's just those wear and tear deformities. If you're not doing your precautions, you're not wearing your sports, you're not doing you know what you need to be doing um, to stay ahead of it. And realistically, some of those folks are overweight, and yeah. that certainly makes it harder. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of factors that add into it. So the inability to stand on your toes, this is kind of an interesting little test we do in the office to determine if that's the tendon involved. Oh, yeah, I got it coming up, the the heel rise test. Yeah, so clinically, what do we see? Tenderness along that medial arch. You got a little bit of a a bump there. And what is that bump? That's your talus. That's your talus uh, uncovering. Here's a diagram of what that posterior tibial tendon uh, comes along and inserts on that medial ankle. It's desperately trying to hold everything up. Yeah, it's yep. it's one of the main tendons, or probably the number one tendon in arch support. I mean, holding that that arch nice and high, nice and prominent. So, what are some clinical signs that we see when we're looking at these patients? We're doing our physical exam, we did our manipulations, we've done our muscle strengthening, a muscle test, and then we have them stand up, and that's our key exam because now they have their body weight pushing down on that arch. So sometimes they'll be sitting in the chair and they'll have great arches, 
but then when they stand up, the arches completely collapse. And, and usually one side more than the other. Yes. But, you know, the side that's having the most trouble, uh, yeah. they can have literally a unilateral flat foot where it's just one side. Yeah. I mean, we can go down a, a rabbit hole talking about limb length discrepancies sure. and how that kind of plays in part people who have knee replacements, hip replacements, mm-hmm. how that can add to it. But um, just for the generic, you know, overture, it is usually one side that starts first. So what we're looking at um, here is your heel. Um, when you stand up, your heel should be close to neutral, you know, real close to lined up with the, with the tibia coming down the back. When you have a flat foot deformity, one of the main uh, anchors in dropping this flat foot deformity is the heel going into valgus or pronation. So you see that too many toe signs. You can see it here, too many toe signs. You see the, the line between the... Is that uh, Helbing's? Helbing sign? Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, uh, uh, piece these, of trivial pursuit yeah, right there. All these doctors wanted to name themselves, you know, after some type of specific sign, osteotomy, right. test, blah blah blah. And you'll see when we go through these, most of these surgeries. And to I'm be having, fair, it's probably other people who assigned the name. They yeah. probably didn't say, "Well, I'm going to call this the Helbing sign," but yeah. you know, he probably wrote the first paper on it. And, and Got it popularized, yeah, and, and then they're like, "Hey." So he may not have been a megalomaniac. We're not trying to. <laughs> downplay Dr. Helbing. Going back to that pain along the medial arch, you can see that, that severe flattening. Yeah, that's that, a bad one. Yeah, that arch is pancake, you know. Yeah, it, Pez, we call it Pez pancakes. <laughs> Pez pan- medical terminology yes. for, for those who don't know. Um, that posterior tibial tendon you see is the main factor in bringing that arch up. This is a kid right here, real flat arches. And if we can catch them early, hopefully we can, you know, turn this flat foot thing around there but are before some they start getting arthritis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that is important. Because once there, you're at this stage, upper left guy, oh, yeah. older dude, he, he's undoubtedly got uh, some rigidity to that deformity and some early arthritis or arthrosis, and that's going to require far more advanced reconstructive surgery. Oh, yeah. And less soft tissue work, more, more bony work. Yeah. 100%. That's why whenever I see these patients... I say, get it fixed while you're younger. If I have a, a parent that comes in, you know, they're talking about their flat foot problems. Uh, flat foot, it can be genetically transmitted. There is a, a genetic predominance with flat foot structures, especially paternally, um, which, you know, you're like, look, check out your family. Uh, if you have a flat foot problem, maybe your kids do. It might not be painful, but it, it might be something you want to address early on. Even if it's just with orthotics. Yeah, or- yeah. Something, I'm not talking something. about going in and, and slicing and dicing right, right. off the bat. Right. Trying something conservative. Um, yeah, right here, a kid, uh, simple. Uh, and there's there's a couple papers out there that they argue that there's like 40-50% chance that your pediatric flat foot will wither away by the time you hit puberty. Uh, I don't know, arguable. Uh, yeah, and I think... I say more in the toddler age, you'll have that flat foot type right. of thing. And but once they're like preteens... You're kind of stuck. Yeah. That's probably going to be a problem they're going to have to deal with yeah. um, for the rest of their lives. Um, oh, so flat foot staging. So this is kind of what we go through in our minds when we're looking at these flat foot deformities. Your stage one flat foot, uh, your Johnson and Strong classification. Now Meyerson has a the most popularized version, mm-hmm. which um, you can base your treatment plan off of your posterior tibial tendonitis, that tendon, your flat foot deformity. If it's achy, mild, but the flat foot isn't that bad, and it only flares up every so often, that's your stage one. Your stage two is when it flares up more and more often, 
and now you're having pain with your normal daily activities. Your foot is still flexible at this point. When you get to stage three, you don't have a flexible or reducible flat foot deformity, and then your stage four, you're you know pretty far along gone, and then you're talking about Severe fusions. Arthritis, yeah, yeah, you're talking about fusions rather than pinning. <clears throat> um, yeah, the four B, the fixed ankle valgus, the, those are those are tough. Yeah, that's, that's at that point you're talking about going in fusion the whole Doing high pan, foot. Pan Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. So the heel rise test, you brought that up. There you go. So mm-hmm. the heel rise test is something we do clinically. Patients are like, Oh, why are you having me do this? My foot's hurting me. But I'm like, look, just just do me a favor. I need to see how how much mobility you still have left. You'll have them stand up, they'll hold onto the counter. And they'll go up onto the tippy toes with both feet. If they're able to go up on both feet and you're seeing that heel turn in, then we know that you're still at a stage two and still flexible. You're also strength. You're also testing their muscle power there, seeing how bad it's flared the up. The ability to do it at all. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and then if they're able to do so it do with, unilateral. Yeah. Yeah. If they're able to do it with both feet, then we're like, all right, let's go to one foot at a time. Or we do your good foot first. You know, they're able to do it and then <laughs> replicate it with the bad foot. And then we're watching that heel, you know, right. seeing if they're... And it may be just simply too painful for them yes, to do. Yes, a lot of and the then time... then you know the tendon's uh, either completely ruptured or, or is in pretty bad shape. Yeah, a lot of the times they're, they'll just, they're like, I cannot do this. Yeah. And like, they'll they'll go and try to balance and like, I, there's no way. No, yeah. It's perfectly fine. This gives us a lot of information. Yep. Yeah, so here, here you can there see... There you go. Look at that. Uh, like you said, it's, it's commonly unilateral. Look at this. Good arch, good foot. Bad foot. You can even yeah. see that Taylor head uncovering coming out. Oh, there. yeah. Yep. Here's your, your your heel rise. Before, you can see it's real flat. You have classic flat foot deformity from the back. <coughs> and then you have your heel rise, and you can see that heel turn in, which is what we want. And it's kind of fascinating how patients consider it. Uh, they almost describe this as something that happened overnight, even though you know it didn't yes. happen. Likely that it happened overnight, or they'll have some type of traumatic event memory from like back when they were younger, that like they, twenty years ago. And are, like, well, they're convinced that that's what did it. Yeah, yeah probably not. Like, it, this is a progressive, chronic, slowly, usually a slowly progressing problem yeah. until it gets to a point where maybe you ruptured the tendon. Then you could have pes pancakes right, you know, overnight. <laughs> but but you'd notice, you'd feel the pop or the tear, and, yeah. and there's usually some pretty significant trauma involved, yeah. where it finally just sort of uh, you know. The straw that broke the camel's back effect. But that's very rare. How often do you actually see those rupture? Yeah, it's pretty like rare. Acutely. It's mostly chronic degeneration. Cr- yeah. And they're like, you know what? For the last couple of years, my right foot seems to be flatter than my left. And yeah. yep, sure enough. I notice my shoes are wearing out yeah. on one side more yeah. than the other. Can you fix my, my foot problem to fix my shoes? You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> so we get some imaging. All right. Like any other problem, we want to see what the structure of the foot's going. And uh, these x-rays were phenomenal. I pulled these off from online and links in the... In That's the, beautiful. Uh, but yeah, you can see nice, healthy foot, straight alignment. This is Miri's line. You want that talus and that first metatarsal alignment like as straight as possible. When you get that flattening of that arch, you can see how that talus <coughs> and that first metatarsal are starting to buckle. I did not know Christopher Walken had those kind of skills. Yeah. <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> I have no I idea. I find these. That's awesome. Here you can see the calcaneal inclination angle. Nice, beautiful. You, know, you want that about 20 degrees, yeah, roughly. Yeah. You want that, that triangle of that foot, you know? So the one on the bottom's at least 10 degrees <laughs> yeah. south of that. Yeah, that thing is hitting neutral. I mean, that thing is yeah. hitting zero soon. 
And uh, here, looking yeah. top down, we're looking at a couple of angles here. Your first metatarsal tailor alignment. You can see beautiful alignment with the first metatarsal. Here, you can see that tailor head uncovering. Um, there's different ways to measure it. You know, they say more than 25 degrees or 30 degrees, depending on who you read. Mm -hmm. Tailor head uncovering uh, is symptomatic for something that should be corrected when, you know, we're talking about going and fixing it. The other thing that we look can look at, and I couldn't find a good x-ray um, with the angles, is your CC angle. Your, right. Your calcuneo cuboid angle. Um, sometimes more acute. Yeah, sometimes yeah. depending on the type of deformity, if your forefoot is abducting on that hind foot and yeah. shifting over, we want to go in and fix that that deformity. And, um, yeah, we'll put a little wedge in there or fuse that side or lengthen that side or whatever you call it. Uh, and, um, yeah, it just kind of determines the plane of deformity, be it sagittal, you know, your up and down deformity, up and down deformity, be it frontal, you know, your, your forefoot being uh, rotated on your hind foot, and then be transverse, you know, your, your, your forefoot, you know, pulling over, you know, abducting your toes out type of deformity. So here's some more angles, and this is in peds, nice young pediatric flat foot deformity. Mm -hmm. You can see that that tail is dropping down. I mean, any further, you'd call that a vertical tail. Oh, wow, yeah. You know? Okay. And those vertical taluses, I mean, it's not accurate, but vertical talus, you'll have this, that TN joint, that navicular sitting on top of the neck of the talus. Right. Um, but that's that's pretty significant, though. That that's yeah. a that's a pretty significant flat foot. You can also look for what's called a sima line. You want that <coughs> nice S type shape line here. I'll yeah, go you back. want those to line up. That's a beautiful line right there. Yeah. You know, and, and then you can you see it's anteriorly displaced. Yeah, significantly. Wow, yeah. not even close. Some things that you may see on the X-rays: accessory bones, um, mm -hmm. accessory naviculars. These are very troublesome. These things um, are accessory bones within that posterior tibial tendon uh, coming down, and it can be a point of tenderness. And there's multiple variations of this, and I'll show you a couple examples. But um, what that bone is doing while it's floating in that tendon, it becomes a rock and a hard place, right? That tendon is pulling against that bone and riding up against the side of that bone. And if there's a bone inside that, that's a, a prominence. That's like having a, a corner that you're pulling rope over, and there's a knot in there. If it's constantly going over that corner, that knot is going to start, you know, wearing away, um, just like that tendon would. Yeah, and sometimes it's just. <clears throat> disrupting the cartilaginous connection, the fibrous connection between yeah. the accessory bone and the rest of the navicular. Yeah, it's true. When you yeah. have that little bone there, your, your fibers are thinned out to span over that bone. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about what we can do to fix that. Here's some examples, the different versions you can see. You know, yeah, some are small, some of them are massive. Yeah. And then you, uh, probably type 3, yeah, you could almost call that a gorilloid navicular. Yeah, That's exactly. Not a, it's not a term that we like to use around kids because they're like, I got a gorilla foot? What are you talking <laughs> about? But that's the traditional name for it. So we're looking at the x-rays. We're like, all right, let's try our conservative treatments. And if the pain is really bad, we may get an MRI to see how much damage is going on. If it's not too bad, typically I'll, I'll hold the MRI off if the conservative options are not working. If it's going to dramatically change your treatment protocol, I think it's totally worth it. Yeah. But if you're going to start with cast mobilization or cam boots to calm everything down first yeah. and you know do that first let everything calm down see if you can get them you know into a reasonable shoe with an orthotic and see how they do but yeah look at that one that that tendon's not happy yeah so here's very mild 
tendinopathy, you know, tendinitis. You can see that fluid around your tendon, which is a normal thing. But when it becomes hypertrophic, you can see that it's speckled appearance inside the tendon. So, you know, yeah. that tendon is being damaged. Yeah. Here, you, you can got see fluid within the tendon itself, which yeah. is not what you want. So the tendon should look black. Yeah, it should be jet black. Yeah. Nice and beautiful. So here's T1, here's T2. Jet black would be, you know, nice tendons right across yep. here. Here you can see that speckling. You can see a little bit of a linear, um, whatever you want to call it. It might be a pocket. It might be a mm -hmm. split tear. Here you can see that tendon sheath is, is very angry. You know, look at that. Yeah, look at all the fluid. You can see those little tears coming across there. Yep. This is a beautiful picture right here. This is an MRI. You can see the bone. If the tendon is pulling on that bone hard enough, you can get, you know, um, bony inflammation across there. You sometimes catch it right at the insertion. Not often you see that, but... Um, That's um, nice. So conservative therapy, like you said, mm -hmm. rest, ice, elevate, bracing, right. boots. Uh, you cast them? Uh, I will if I don't trust them with the boot. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Some people true. are just, you know, the, I've mentioned this study before in other podcasts where um, Armstrong and Lavery, I believe, did a, did a study with uh, some of their colleagues down at San Antonio at the Health Science Center where they, they put a device in the boot and they were studying diabetic patients, but they put the device in the boot and then like a pager on their belt. And those two are connected via Bluetooth or something. And every time the boot and the belt device were more than I think four feet away from each other, it would register that. And that would tell you that the boot wasn't on the patient and they would wear them maybe 30% of the time. Yeah, I believe it. So you know, that's the downside to those boots is they can be removed and, you know, they're not going to help you when they're off your foot. <clears throat> and I have to remind patients also that it's a positional thing, too. We want mm -hmm. to keep them in that neutral position while the tendon's healing. Yeah. You don't so, want to have that heel attenuated and long. Right. So 24-7 is a good thing, and that's where fiberglass casts, you know, the harder to take yeah. off. But I used to have a doc back when I was in residency who would put the boot on, right? Mm -hmm. uh, patients, you can easily, you know, put the boot on, too. Um, fiberglass around and it. And then fiberglass oh, yeah. around the Just top. like one or two. Just simple. Yeah, yeah. Because then you know they take it, they oh, took yeah. it off. I had, another, uh, I had a nurse uh, who would do web roll for patients because she was like, you know, the fiberglass or rub. But then if you do a colored web roll, it's hard for them to, I'm saying web roll, excuse me, Coban. Uh, Coban, right. Yeah, if you yeah, use yeah. a colored Coban, <clears throat> it's hard for there them to There was also these big zip ties. There was a company that, that made a, wound care product and they would provide these boots for folks because they knew the wound care product worked better when you were in a boot to yeah. protect it and they had zip ties with their name emblazoned on it and so uh. they were big fat zip ties so you couldn't really go to home depot and grab one that said you know x company <laughs> it, so we knew if they had cut it and and taken the boot off um forced compliance it yeah. was it helped it yeah. was it was fantastic. So yeah, compliance is an issue with these uh, unless you make them unremovable. Then they're about as good as a fiberglass cast. Yeah, so. yeah, of course. And the nice thing about these is you can put an orthotic in them. Yes. So you can kind of get the best of both worlds. Yep. I yeah. always recommend if they have an orthotic or yeah. if they're getting an orthotic to slip it in there. Yep. Because uh, depending on if they're walking or not walking, if they're not walking, then it doesn't make a difference. But if they're walking on it, if they're stable enough to walk on it, the orthotic is going to help hold that arch up and take that stress off of that posterior tibial tendon. If they're not walking, then it doesn't make a difference. So what about when they're <coughs> not so bad? They're on that stage one, early stage two. I like to do the figure eight brace. I don't know what you like yeah. to do, or the Richie's braces, mm -hmm. or anything, you know, um, simple braces that they can wear inside their shoe. Right. Um, I think those are helpful. Yeah. Especially if you're transitioning them back to normal oh, yeah. weight bearing, yeah. So, so if I, you've got that upper left-hand patient, yeah, I think conservative 
treatment's probably a rational thing to do. Yeah, if they're not in significant pain, there's no significant edema, if they're able to still do their daily activities... They can get back and do the toe raise yeah. you know, technique without pain. Yeah, time to move them on. Yeah, the figure eight brace, uh, there's a little technique to it. Um, I think we made a video about it. Maybe we'll be posting one of these days on how to, how to um, uh, wear that figure eight brace right. um, to favor that posterior tibial tendon. Because what you're doing is you're, you have two long straps on the, the back that will come around that forefoot. And if you're trying to favor that tendon, you'll turn your ankle in and pull it up so it keeps that tendon nice and short. So when it's healing, it's going to heal nice and short and take some of that stress off of that tendon. Right. Further along, you know, you can do, if it's not so um, happy, cast, crutches, knee scooter. And knee and scooters then, are great. And then physical therapy. Yeah. You know, once the tendon has the initial calm down, maybe getting into physical therapy, strengthening that tendon up, getting you stable again, and hopefully preventing this from getting too far along. Surgery. All right. So surgery is usually needed whenever the fat foot deformity or the posterior tibial tendon um, isn't getting better. The, the risk outweighs the benefits uh, of going conservative. So let's talk about going in surgically. So there's a couple of common procedures that we typically do for flat foot surgery. Uh, Kidner, um, especially with posterior tibial tendonitis, is a very common procedure we'll do. We'll go in, we'll clean up that tendon, remove any of that, that scarred up tendon, and remove any of the accessory bones or the bumps or the grilloid navicular. Remodel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then take that tendon and bring it nice and low, nice and tight, and tack it down. Sometimes we'll also take the flexor tendon. If that tendon is so far gone, we'll use an accessory tendon and we'll bring that over. Um, but most commonly, I'd say 90% of the time, I'm doing just the, the straight kidner, um, no accessory tendon. I mean, I'll wrap it with like a tendon graft and, you know, bulk it up and stuff. So this would be reserved for patients who don't have significant deformity. Yes, yes. Right. This is for your This, this is a foot. standalone, doesn't usually work. No, no, this patients, is, right? yeah, exactly. This is something you're going to do in conjunction with other surgeries. A lot of times, yeah. yeah. Calc slide or whatever, yeah. we'll, which we'll go into. Is that next? Nope, nope, there I got the go. cotton next. Cotton. All right. Gotcha. So whenever you have that sagittal plane deformity where your deformity is in the sagittal plane, up and down plane, um, a cotton osteotomy or a cotton wedge uh, procedure um, is something that you can do. You're literally um, putting a small cut in the cuneiform mm-hmm. and um, you're, you're opening a wedge up <coughs> in there to bring that forefoot down. Um, very simple, very effective. Typically, people will, you know, fixate with some staples or screws or uh, it's technically a wedge. Sometimes, so it should. Sometimes it, you don't have to fixate them at all. Yeah. Yeah. You've just got. Good impaction. physics uh, impacting it, right? Yeah, so, I mean, very simple procedure, but usually we use it in conjunction with other procedures. And that that's an interesting x-ray because that's not just a typical bone graft. That's probably a metallic graft, yeah. right? So you've got, you've got bone growing through. And, and that was a big paradigm shift for me using those because you're like, how in the world? I'm sticking this chunk of metal into this foot. How is this going to incorporate bone? And it just grows in and around and through, and it's just, they're, they're amazing. Yeah, those grafts, those metallic grafts, they're filled with the holes and channels. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they look like mesh. Sometimes they look like sponge. Sometimes they'll just have, you know, a grid pattern. But what that's allowing is bony ingrowth. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, sometimes I'll take, like, the bone chips and I'll pack them in there. Sure. And, or right. if you're bone graft them. material, yeah. whatever. But it's just it's such a paradigm shift. I am wearing different clothes because this is a different day. It's actually a different week. 
because I do change clothes every day, most days. <laughs> I consciously <laughs> tried to wear black scrubs because I'm pretty sure I wore black scrubs or blue scrubs. I couldn't tell from my camera. <laughs> trying to make it seamless. I don't really care. So um, we are talking again about posterior tibial tendon dysfunction and common surgical procedures. And I think we were we were stuck on uh, the use of bony graft as opposed to the newer uh, 3D printed slash um, metallic grafts that yeah. are titanium or... Oh, um, they're amazing now. I know before, trippy. yeah, it used to be, you know, solid and they couldn't get that intricate detail for bony ingrowth. And then they started doing the, uh, what's it called? Um, the speckling and all that kind of stuff right. to allow the, the osseous for your bone to grip onto those grafts. And then they started... Um, doing uh what's that called the 3d printing well the 3d printing is the yeah. newest one there was like that one in between where they they sprayed that uh oh uh, yeah the, they stippled it or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but now yeah the new 3d printed mesh are, are phenomenal well and each one of the little dots the stipples is actually 3d printed now. yeah it's, it's one piece of metal it's incredible yeah the guy absolutely the, incredible one of the reps that we were talking to he said if you pulled up different sized grass and you looked under, under the microscope the pattern is 3D identical, you know, for each of them. It's it's crazy. It's not just some bland spray or whatever right. to kind of uh, um, make it uh, osteo... Uh, Osteoinductive and conductive, yeah. yeah. So, But that is a bit of a paradigm shift. We talked a little bit about that, you know, going from bone graft, which is cadaveric bone, that, okay, you use bone graft. This is something that's been done for, you know, yeah. 150 years. Iliac crest, I mean, that, yeah. that was the gold standard. We've been for doing it for, you know, 150 years. And, and we got better at it as we got, um, I think, better at, at processing these so that they were safer. We, yeah. weren't, we weren't transmitting viruses or bacteria. Or the alternative was you take the patient's own graft. Uh, right. I, I used to do the, the calc where you do the little window and yeah. you take that little that cube out of there. And then you got donor site morbidity. In other yeah. words, you can have pain, you can have wound healing problems where you're taking the bone from. Uh, sometimes those are the, the iliac crest graft. Uh, Super some, painful. Some patients complain more about that than the massive, you know, reconstructive foot surgery you just <laughs> did on them, which is great because they complain the orthopedic surgeon who took it. And yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> and they're like, oh, the podiatrist was great. My this <laughs> foot surgery didn't hurt at all. It was that damn orthopedic surgeon. Um, you know, it's not their fault. It's just that's just a painful place to have take bone. Yeah. yeah. Be that as it may, it is a paradigm shift to to shove a, a hunk of metal into an area where you're wanting to grow bone, yeah. but with these new designs and the interstices in between all the little arms of this metallic device, you can grow bone tremendously and actually cause inductive and conductivity, yeah. which is amazing. So, And the nice part is, on, on top of you know all that in-growth, is that they actually make the shape specific to that location. Right. So you're not contouring... That, yeah. that graft, and, and you know, because when you contour that iliac crest, you have three cortices. So it's like an eggshell, right? You got that cortex that's nice and strong, and that spongy bone in between. But when you're contouring, you're like, oh, I'm going to be losing some of that, that strength. There's going to be some compression across There's there. an art to it. Yeah. And if you get too crazy with your bone saw while you're doing it, you, oh, you yeah. could watch the whole thing just go. Yeah. And you're like left with pieces. Yeah. And so. now, yeah, and now these are, are 3D designed to fit those specific areas. Right. They, so. they can actually be a mimic of the actual bone itself you can they even you could replace the entire talus yeah i did that yeah. we should do a case uh, we should do a um that would be a cool one i don't have the surgery video you don't no. well but you got the pre and post yeah and i have that paper so yeah but we'll, we'll talk about it that it'll, would be, be a cool fun case taylor taylor replacements are, are rare but are unique and, yeah. and very interesting cases so all right well lapis lapis is a very common procedure that we do uh quite often i mean 
it's, it's usually used for bunions, but when we use it for flat foot surgery, we're bringing that first metatarsal back over because uh, with a, a flat foot problem, that foot splays out and a bunion is very common. But yeah. we're, we're bringing that bunion back over and we're bringing it down in the sagittal plane. Right. So we're bringing that arch back up in the midfoot and bringing that first ray down. One of the most powerful ways to provide stability to yeah. the first ray. And you can see in, in your picture A there, that is a, that's a significant bunion. Yeah. Uh, you've got some uh, you know, atavistic uh, position uh, or angulation of that first metatarsal cuneiform joint. So it's literally allowing the bone to you know, jut out like that. Yeah. And you can fix all that, put a plate over it, and, and give the patient tremendous stability. And then combine that with some of these other procedures like the calcaneal slide. Yeah, or, look at that. I mean, that yeah. before and after is fun. Look at that tail. It's calcaneal angle. I mean, yeah. they're nearly parallel. Right. It's, it's crazy. So that that's a really nice result where you get, you've provided the patient an arch. You've provided them stability, which is going to benefit them the rest of their lives. Simple, effective, and like we said, we use it for bunion surgeries all the time. Right. And when we use it in conjunction with any other flat foot surgery, it, it just uh, exemplifies uh, great results. So that's nice, that pre and post-op, even those laterals Oops. that you showed there, oh, sh yeah. showing the line. The lines are more lined up. You've got more stability. Yep, those are great. Another one that we use a, a wedge for, uh, Evans procedure. Great for pediatrics because you've got open growth plates and you don't have to worry about uh, interfering with the growth plate by adding a wedge into that part of the calcaneus. Yeah, because commonly whenever you have that flat foot deformity, you'll you'll see that that out toe walking with you know with your, your duck walk mm -hmm. when you're walking with you know, too many toe signs, whatever you want to call it. Um, now when we put that wedge in there, we're physically shifting that that foot back over. Uh, nice alignment with your your patella uh, or tibial tuberosity. Mm -hmm. Simple, effective. And it, it is technically your major correction is in the transverse plane, but when you're shifting everything over, it's a 3D, you know, full biomechanical uh, foot. So you're actually getting triplanar correction, although the, the majority of the correction is in the transverse plane. And a lot of folks don't even need to fixate those. So sometimes yeah. you use a plate like the, they're showing in, in picture B there, but a lot of times you just have the normal compressive forces of the foot keeping that graft in place yeah, it's literally impinged into wedged that position. In there. yeah now the 3d printed ones have little screw holes in them like sort of like those cervicals right you know when they had the, yep. the little screws that you can kind of just lock it into place um, that's pretty sweet too but yeah uh but seeing those x-rays is still weird for me to see this like huge <laughs> chunk of metal in there and you're like how in the heck is bone growing through that but it works yeah it's cool stuff Turn calc that. slide so calc slide cutianus dr cutianus whatever um, uh, he named it or was named after it for uh, popularizing the surgery. But the calc slide, what we're doing is we're physically taking that calcaneus, that heel bone, which is lying lateral to the tibia. So if you can imagine, if you take a bisection down the back of your leg and then your heel bone, right, when you when we look back at some of those older pictures, uh, if I have them here. The, the, yeah, the, the angulation of the heel is outside that bisection, right? Yeah, we're literally mm -hmm. sliding that bone, that posterior aspect, and sliding it back under your leg. Right. Uh, simple, effective, works great, and um, uh, they have so many different new fixation techniques now. I mean, they have these plates that are like step-off. Um, I'm still old school. I like the screws Me because too. you don't feel that through head is buried. You don't have that prominence. And I do typically when I'm in there, when I'm, as far as my surgeries, I buzz down that contour so they don't feel it on the outside. Yeah, I'm a fan of that as well. Yeah, it works great, simple, effective. And then on top of that, your Achilles is now uh, help with supination, bringing that arch up because now you're going to be 
on the medial side of that pole rather than the lateral side. So the Achilles is actually a big factor when it comes to flattening the arch. You know, when you're, you're walking, the Achilles is pulling, it's on the lateral side, so you're pronating or, or turning that heel out more towards the outside of your body. But when you have the heel neutral or a little bit more than neutral, you'll actually help bring the arch up more supinatory force. You're going from a deforming force into a, a, you know, a positive force. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yep. Rearfoot arthrodesis. So once these become rigid and you have significant arthritis, these are people who are older in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, we see a lot of this in Mexico. So when we do our medical mission trips down to uh, San Miguel de Allende, we see a lot of neglected flat foot where these folks have been working on their feet for 40, 50 years, and they had that foot structure as a kid. It was never addressed, and now they've just got horrible arthritis. And yeah. at that stage, you're not saving the joint. Uh, if they choose to participate in a surgical correction, you're, you're taking joints out, you're rearranging the rear foot, and then you know, screwing everything back together. And that's a really nice, that's a 2A, 2B I love that 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 uh, picture looks yeah, great. So you've yeah. done a triple arthrodesis there, where you're fusing three major joints in the rear foot, and providing stability where they lack stability, and then also eliminating joints that are undoubtedly painful for the patient. Oh yeah, of course. Right. And, and this goes back to the initial problem that posterior tibial tendon giving out. So when we go back and we look at this before and after, uh, you can see that posterior tibial tendon uh, has been severely attenuated. And that's their yeah. initial pain, but they kind of like work through it. You know, some people can tolerate more pain. And you get to this point where it's rigid, it's stiff. We do the, the heel rise test. They're unable to move that foot. That calcaneus doesn't turn in. And then we're like, all right, we have to go in and fuse this. And like Dr. D said, when we don't have joints that are moving, when you fuse joints, you're not going to have joint pain. Um, right. It's the micro motion in an arthritic joint that hurts. So if you eliminate the motion, either... The body auto fuses it. There are some people who have flat feet like this, and they have no motion. They yep, have no pain. Rigid. Yeah. And they have no pain. So you, you leave those folks alone. It's the ones that come in that have some motion that's painful motion that you offer that procedure to, for sure. Yeah. And, and sometimes you won't do a full triple. Uh, you'll do double. You'll yeah. do single. Um, and, and, you know, the, the patient's foot type varies. So it's not like one treatment fits all. So we'll, you can see here, they did a, it looks like they did a double, a TN. And uh, um, a TC, yeah. yeah, subtalar and a talonavicular joint right. fusion, um, beautifully done. I mean, and then you still maintain that lateral column flexibility since that that uh, cuboid calcaneus uh, joint is still mobile. Um, simple, effective, and uh, beautiful results. Oh, another procedure that we commonly do with flat foot surgeries: your Achilles lengthening. Like right. I said, the Achilles is a major deforming force. I typically do the the straighter your gastroc recession. You know, do mine endoscopically. I think you said you do yours open, right? Yep. Small, I did small one last incision. week. Same, yeah. same thing. Small incision, maybe an inch. You know, I like to visualize it so that I can I can protect yeah. the sural nerve. Yeah. Oh, uh, for my, I'm putting together a case, and we'll talk about that sural nerve. I, you know, I do the little, I open them up. My incision's like two centimeters. Mm -hmm. I actually get in the tendon sheath, and then I put my endoscope in. Same thing, protecting that sural nerve. Little tips and tricks that we do. You know, there is a inherent risk when you do endoscopic surgery because your visualization is, is, is limited. On, yeah, is on that little, little uh, scope head. Yeah. And then typically for a lot of these reconstructive procedures where you're fusing rear foot joints, you know, we do the percutaneous. So oh, you're, yeah. You're, the, it's really the modified hoke is the one I do. I'm sure that's the one you do. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, two medial, one lateral, small, small. hemi section. Yeah. And, and you just keep on teasing it until the folly gives. And, and so... It, 
it basically stretches the tendon. It's tearing the tendon, but it's stretching it. It's not completely releasing yeah. it. Yeah, you're pretty much turning that tendon from a flat sheet to an accordion, and, right. and it works great. There's some evidence to support the fact that that heals back and your contractures can return um, over time. But, yeah. you know, if you can do that procedure by the patient enough time to heal the wounds and, and maybe to allow the, the fusions to take hold, then the Achilles is doing less work anyway, and it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's an easy thing to do. It's great because you don't have to reposition the patient. You can do it with them supine, which yeah. is mo- the majority of your surgery is going to be with them supine anyway. Yeah, flipping a patient in middle surgery is it's, the worst. It's a pain. I, I I've had to do it a couple times, and it's like, all right, now we have to you know put a big dressing on the foot, flip them yeah. over. It's it's a mess. You're it's, increasing your chances of of uh, you know violating the sterility. You're increasing yeah. your chances of of you know, dropping the patient. Um, there's all kinds of things that we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So until they come up with the, the, the table that looks like one of those uh, sandwich makers, you know, where you just like this. And the, yeah, like a rotisserie. Until they can develop a bed that does that effectively, that's what yeah, we try to well, do. They, they do have something like that for spinal surgery. For the, That's like a, a version of the Jackson table or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. Yeah. Where they, you know, they do the, the frontal fusions, you know, the, uh, for your spine. You know, Strap you, them in go in from the, your, your stomach area and, and then they flip them over and do the, the, the rods and, yep. and all that fun stuff. But um, maybe you got to convince the OR to, to let us get one of let those. Yeah, let us play around with that. <laughs> yeah. For the same reason that I want to play around with the Da Vinci. Oh, man. I would love to. Imagine nerve surgery with a Da Vinci. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, so here's your arthresis implant. So this is a way of blocking motion. Uh, rather than eliminating joints. So this is great for flexible flat foot. Flexible. And, and it used to be solely for pediatrics. And they were saying initially growth place should be open so the, the foot can accommodate. But more recently, the literature shows that you can use it in younger adults. When it starts becoming rigid and, and less flexible or you don't have full reduction in deformity, you're, you're, you're fighting a losing battle here. Right. Um, but for peds, I, I mean, I almost do it exclusively almost every time. It's, it's, it's a great thing. It swings that heel bone over like like no other. You put that little implant in here, and it swings that heel over. And you're like, all right, do I got to do more? You know, But obviously, you, you got to you know, fix everything else around it. You can't solely rely on the subtalar arthrosis. But like I said, yeah. it works great. It's combined with some soft tissue releases. Some so- you, you can combine it with uh, you know, tendon transfers. Yeah, I typically do like my kidney, my gastroc, my subtalar. Cotton. If I need it, yeah, do a cotton or a right. calc slide, depending mm-hmm. on the deformity. Um, but yeah, and the good thing about this is you're still maintaining that motion, except it's in a more functional area. Rather than going in and fusing it, um, we're, we're fixing the main origin of the flat foot problem, the subtalar joint. Right. What else? Oh, here we go. Here's a before and after. This is a this was a study where they did a sole subtalar, and I think they did an Achilles lengthening also, but uh, no other bony uh, surgery. And you can see that flat foot before, right? You can see that, that heel sitting out. And then you see the after, nice and straight, nice and neutral, and um, yeah, simple, nice arch. I mean, uh, you're swinging that that subtalar joint over, and you're promoting it to be the most uh, uh, biomechanically sound. Looks good. <laughs> Here are some generic surgeries. I, I threw a bunch of pictures in there, and we'll kind of just talk through some. I think there's some before and after. Yeah, there's some before and afters. So here, look at that. I mean, that's your flat foot, and that that deviating sideways, that that uh, that transverse deformity, your alto. Deformity. So I bet you when this person stands, 
They got that collapsed arch, the mm-hmm. toes outwards, the knees pointing forward, and their and the toes outwards. And actually, the knees typically will buckle in you. That's when you get that kind of knock knee deformity too. The, the Taylor head's usually pretty prominent, yeah. along with the navicular tuberosity. So they have Look that, at that bump uncovering. in the arch. Yeah, that significant uncovering. So that's nice. That's a that's a nice result. It looks like they Evans. did a, a CC fusion, CC probably fusion. with the wedge. Yeah, so sort of a, a fusion Evans. And then uh, your lapidus, like we said, the lapidus yep. simple. And the person doesn't look like they had much of a bunion before, but it's just it for stability. Yeah, yeah. And when you got that hypermobile first ray, yeah. if you if you look back onto our our bunion surgery uh, video, we'll talk about that hypermobile first ray, how it unlocks everything and and pushes the the collapse a little bit. Um, when you got that locked out uh, medial column, uh, your arch is is solid. I mean, and that's what we want. Here's a, uh, is it the same case? Yeah, it's the same case. Here's the lateral view. Yeah, it's just a different view of that plate. It's a nice plate. Yeah. Simple, effective. Here are two cases. It's a bunion from hell right there. <laughs> and, and look, look at that lapidus. Yeah. yeah, that's what makes the lapidus bunionectomy so powerful. Is yeah. is you can move the entire ray over, and I'll combine them with an Aiken. I don't do them without an Aiken osteotomy. So that's a wedge osteotomy of the first bone in the toe. Yeah. To just to complete that correction and get that toe over. But you, the main reason you do that is you want to realign the joint. Not that joint's perfectly realigned. Yeah. And then held in place with two screws. I like plates, but you know you can do the two crossing screws like that too. That's yeah. good. Uh, I like the new plates that have like the little home run screw slot. Yeah. If they don't yeah. have it, then I do it myself. But um, yeah, I think locking plates uh, are the best things to slice bread for surgery. Absolutely. Here you can kind of see that they also did an Evans. Your, your classic Evans, the opening wedge to bring that foot over. So if you look at the before, you can see that that CC angle is it should be parallel. And you can kind of see that angle right here and that angle right there. And what they're doing with that wedge is drifting that joint over, they're realigning that foot, lengthening that out the lateral column, yeah. just adding more more tissue to that lateral column, swinging the foot around. I and I, I gotta say I love these the claw plates. I don't use yeah. them so much on the Evans. I use them for like midfoot fusions, mm. but those claw plates are so great. You literally, you, you bring everything together nice and snug. You put your, your plate on there and then you take a little clamp and it opens up that little diamond shape in there. Which then compresses. takes the, the two sections and compresses them. Yeah, Even they really more. are cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those are they nice. also have like the night and all ones that have memory to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a bunch of fancy ones. Here they also did a calc slide, it looks like. Um, and to bring that that heel back under that, that leg. Um, yeah, that, that would be, I think, a happy customer there. Yeah, you, you can see really that difference. Well Look at that that uh, that calcaneous inclination, the tailor declination, mm-hmm. and now that talus and that first right aligned. Here's angles lined up. It looks uh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yep, that's good Here's one. another one, uh, a flat foot. You can see another transverse deformity. Um, and it looks like they used a, sc- a screw. Um, and it looks like they put a screw across the wedge across that just in that to that joint just holding it together yeah yeah um older technique still works well yeah um but yeah uh, and it looks like they didn't do much more i bet you they did a kinder too because you can see that bump getting resected off probably there. yeah um, and then they did the calc slide yeah. yep. so kinder is that posterior tibial tendon repair taking that bump off moving that tendon lower and down like we talked about earlier and then another heel slide a calc slide mm-hmm. recovery so flat foot surgery, posterior tibial tendon surgery, or whatever you want to call it, is not for the faint of heart, okay? There is a recovery portion, but it's nothing extreme. You'll be off weight-bearing, and depending on the extent of surgery, age, etc., you can be from 6 to 8, 10 weeks, depending on how 
um, oh, well, how the healing so. process goes. Yeah. Right. Typically for children, I mean, it's pretty quick. I mean, six weeks, I'll, I mean, almost like clockwork, I'll have them walking on it in their boot. And if they have insoles or arches to them, I'll add that in there to add a support. The boot will maintain that stability, but that arch is still going to push to collapse, right? Because, you know, they're putting that body weight on it finally after such a long period of time. But if you have that arch in there, um, they'll, they'll hold that stability. And then afterwards, I typically do recommend arches nonetheless. Yeah, I think custom orthotics are, are a real important yeah. adjunctive aspect to, to the post-op. Trying to control the forces that cause it in the first place, right? Yeah. Protect your surgical outcome. Yeah. And then the knee scooters, yeah, the knee scooters are great. Yeah, crutches, knee scooters, wheelchairs, whatever you want to use. I think knee scooters have become so much more increasingly popular that I think most people, I don't, I think I see... Uh, for every two knee scooters, I see like one crutch. I mean, it used to be like hundred oh, yeah. percent crutches. It may even be like four to one. Yeah, I mean, the crutches are just a lot harder to use than people realize. Yeah, and and older patients are doing knee scooters more than crutches. Sure, are. you would think you know you have to be mobile. You know, it's a scooter. You're thinking young, young person, but the knee scooter, it, you're not putting weight on your arms. You're not putting weight on your torso. You're literally resting on your knee, and what you would do with your tibia, anyways, you know. Uh, so you're literally rolling around. I've seen people sit on it and you know use their their legs and kind of roll around. I mean, you can do it in multiple ways as long as you're keeping the pressure off of that foot. I mean, uh, what more can you ask for? Um, but yeah, that's that's it for uh, posterior tendonitis. There we go. Surgery, um, whatever else you want to uh, call it. But um, I think that was a pretty complete discussion of. You know, both the, the pediatric version and the adult version, it's a very common problem. I think people suffer with it for decades and don't realize there's something that can be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're like, I've been dealing with this for so long. Is there any brace? Is there anything you can do? I was like, well, let's fix the problem. You know? Right. And, and AFOs or ankle foot orthoses, custom ankle foot orthoses are, are an option for people who aren't good surgical candidates or who, who don't want to consider surgery. Yeah. Or they but want it, to put it off, you know, say they're off, a teacher sure. and they just started their, you know, it's September and they're like, I can't take off. I got to, you know. Yep. And I think those are valid options. We use those all the time. Some people are content with that. Um, you know, Medicare covers them. Yeah. They, they would expect that, Medicare would expect that that device, you know, which is about $1,500, would last about four years yeah, before we get another one. Yeah, I think the five years is that sweet mark where they, they reimburse it again. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, those are certainly an option. We certainly go through that option. Um, I don't always allow patients to think that the surgery is a replacement for the AFO because if we fuse, if we do a triple arthrodesis yeah. or we fuse several joints in the midfoot, there are other joints that can break down and they're going to work harder and break down faster. Yeah, that's when the ankle gets that ball and socket ankle. Exactly. I, I, so I started, I've been, you know, clearly counseling patients just this week talking about that type of surgery and saying, hey, look, I, you know, I know you think that the AFO is ugly and you don't want to wear it, but the surgery is not a replacement for the AFO. Yeah. You know, the AFO is still going to be likely required to protect your other joints. Yeah. And if we don't, you're going to break down, and you may end up breaking down faster to the extent you need another surgery to fuse more joints. Yeah. So that, that wouldn't be the optimal option that we're shooting for. So, yeah, you can't, you can't trade the brace for surgery all the time. Yeah. The ideal candidate is young, healthy, flexible, flat foot. Because right. we can postpone the inevitable, you know, for decades, decades. Hopefully, you'll 
you'll be 120 and pass away before you ever need to get an AMP. Well, and, and that that's also the population that we can do joint preservation procedures yeah. and tendon transfers and do some things that, that don't require fusions and, and maybe save those joints. Yeah. So, yeah, getting in early, getting it checked out, getting some x-rays, determining, you know, what your options are is important. Burying your head in the sand and waiting for your joints to break down to the point where they're they're broken down into oblivion is probably not in your best interest. So um, just know that uh, we're here for you. We are the pod doctors. <laughs> and uh, thanks, Dr. Hussein. And we will uh, close down our posterior tubular tendonitis discussion for the day. And see you guys next time on, on the, pod the Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.